God bless you, everybody. Wonderful to see you. We're, we're doing a study in Proverbs. I guess you knew that. And it's uh, very helpful if you're interested in learning how to live life with more skill. These are available helps in living the life God has given us in a more skillful way. So uh, that's one of the reasons why we, we have been immersing ourselves in Proverbs, to gain wisdom, to learn how to live life more skillfully. For instance, uh, not every... Ladies, um, ladies, oh, get out of town. Holy moly. Kathy, you're doing this because I did it to you. Pamela, it is not fair. Heavens to Betsy. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Kathy, wow, look at that. My, my, my. Look at that. That is good. They, they sell those in Walmart. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, everybody. Let's just have a party and forget about Bible study. Wow. Thank you, Pam. Wow. I know why these people are doing that, because I, I embarrassed Kathy just a few weeks ago. It was her birthday. And so she doesn't know the biblical principles on forgiveness. She's, you take the cake. God bless you, Kath and Pamela. Oh, my well, goodness. I to be more spiritual than you. You said I'd never have cake. I and there it is. <laughs> Thank you, Kath. Now, please go away. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow, wow. With your permission, I'll just put these down here because I can't see over them. There we go. Wow. This won't distract you at all, will, will it? Yeah, I have no idea what I was saying. Wow, and I want you all just to be, feel free to distract the preaching, the flow. And whenever, if anything ever occurs to you, just get up out of your seats and just charge up here like we don't have anything prepared. Just do, you know, as the Spirit, whatever Spirit it is, leads. Wow, wow. Well, after the service, you're invited to, to have a piece of that, uh, of that cake. My goodness, thank you. It's huge. Do I have to share with my wife? Oh, you we do. Okay, that's written in the book of Leviticus. Um, so thank you very much. Wonderful to celebrate uh, my birthday with you. I would rather be here with this church family than anywhere else. And uh, not only that, I wasn't invited anywhere else on my birthday. So, you know. So I'll tell you about a lady who really uh, needs a dose of wisdom, 45-year-old lady, true story, from San Antonio, Texas, uh, brought her car into a place to have the oil changed. Sounds reasonable. And uh, the mechanic popped the hood, you know, to begin the procedure. And when he did so, in the engine compartment, he found 18 bags of marijuana. So he called the police, who quickly came, and they uh, arrested the lady. But they were really curious about this, and they asked her what, what she was thinking. And she said, I had no idea he had to open the hood to do the oil change. So, see, that lady really needs to be with us in this study of Proverbs. So our goal is to glean at least a little more wisdom than that lady has as we go through the book of... That's a reasonable goal. I think we could accomplish it. So let's give it a shot tonight. Proverbs chapter 3, just two verses. Verses 11 and 12. Proverbs 3, verses 11 
and 12. Very important uh, verses. Here's what it says. My son, Solomon's writing, he's addressing his son, but don't leave it just with his son. Uh, This is uh, something that applies to all the sons and daughters of Almighty God. So uh, Solomon says, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Don't do this. Why? Well, you see, because whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So if you're like me, you're asking the question, how in the world could the Lord's discipline, as is indicated in these verses, how in the world could his discipline and reproof actually be a sign of his love? Well, it could be quite easily. It means he cares about how we live. He cares so much that he set guidelines and boundaries around our lives because he cares about how we live out our lives. When the ancient Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, uh, they believed, and I think with justification, nobody cared. But one day, I suppose, something moved in them, and they cried out to Almighty God for deliverance, and he heard their prayer. And then they suddenly found out somebody does care about us. It's the very creator who made us. And then when he liberated ancient Israel from slavery after 400-plus years, he did more to manifest his love. He gave Israel commandments, some would say. Well, did he do that to cramp their style or to test their obedience? No, not for any of those reasons. He gave them commandments because he cares about how they live their lives. In giving the commandments, in setting bounds on their choices and the way they express themselves. In essence, God is saying, I care about how you live. You matter to me. So I've shared with you uh, some things about my past and experience with my father from time to time. I'm not doing it to demean or disrespect him in any way. I have long since found the freedom of forgiveness, all the rest, and I don't have an ounce of bitterness or anger about the parenting I received from my dad, uh, but it's instructive in many ways, and it's been helpful uh, to me to look back on it and not even share a few things with you. My father was an alcoholic and also a compulsive gambler, and so his stuff distracted him uh, from his position as father in the household, and so in many ways, the roles were reversed. He was like the child, and I had to sort of be like the the responsible father one. That's what happens with alcoholism in, in, in a family. The roles get reversed. And so his, his addictions kept him from very focused and active engagement in my life. And uh, I, I believe he loved me, but um, his love was impaired and deficient because of his own issues. And so every kid on the block, I remember I, I grew up in New York, as I told you, and every kid on the block If ever we came up with an idea, we kids, we wanted to do something, every kid would say, well, I got to check with my dad first. Every kid would say that. I never had to do that. And the kids really thought I had it good. I could come and go as I pleased. I could do whatever I wanted. Because my father was so involved in his stuff, he really didn't know when I came home, if I came home. He He knew nothing about me. 
And so the other kids thought I had it really good, and I acted to them as if I did. Oh, yeah, I got it licked. I don't have to ask permission for anything. I can just come and go. I can do anything I want. But inside I knew I didn't have it so good at all. In fact, I yearned for the time when my father would be so free of his own stuff that he could discipline me, reprove me, correct me, guide me, help me to live life, persuade me that there was someone bigger, stronger, outside of me, who was there for me, who was watching how I lived out my life, and who would say, no, don't do that. Yes, do this. And so I, I didn't really have that. And it's had its effect on me down to this very day. And I want to illustrate to you uh, the effect of an absentee father or a father who's uninvolved in the raising of his children. I want to show you uh, some of the ways it affects kids. All of these are factual evidences of it. 63% of all youth suicides are from kids who come from fatherless homes, 63%. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems, they come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers, they come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison uh, come from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers do not know who their or where their father is. That's just the facts. And so the absence of a dad has profound effect. Uh, these kids grow up feeling absolutely unloved. But the text says... But whom the Lord loves, he reproves, you see. And so he is the father many of us have never, ever had. Children with involved dads are significantly more likely to do well in school, to have a healthy sense of self, to exhibit better social skills, to avoid high-risk behaviors such as drug use, truancy, and criminal activity compared to kids who grow up without the presence of an involved dad. Did you grow up that way? Did you grow up in the absence of a father or in the presence of a dad who was there but for whatever reason like mine was not there? Well, I want to tell you if that's true of you, do you realize you can have a heavenly father who deeply yearns to be involved in your life? You don't have to persuade him. That's his heart's desire. It's the father heart of God. And so Solomon in this text before us encourages us to listen to this heavenly father. He says, my son, don't reject the discipline of the Lord. Don't loathe his reproof for whom the Lord loves. He reproves even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. As a side note, I want to tell you this little uh, episode. I was on the phone today speaking to a friend of mine who I was stationed with in the military in Europe uh, many years ago. And he lives in another state now, and his birthday is tomorrow. Mine is today. I'm 66 today. He's 66 tomorrow. And I always use that to 
pull rank. And I tell him, this is why I'm so much more mature than you and all this kind of... Anyway, we're talking. When we got out of the service, he visited with us, spent a few days when we lived in another state, and, and our boys were young, and we were sitting over dinner one night. I had forgotten this, but he reminded me of it as we were reminiscing today on the phone. He said, I don't know if you remember, but when I was there and I was eating with y'all, the boys, your, your sons, began to sort of act up at the dinner table. And all you had to do, I, I didn't remember it, but I do now, is look at the plate rack. Now, why the plate rack? And my wife had this rack full of collect, collector item plates or something. It's because on the top shelf of the plate rack, I had a wooden spoon about this long. And that's what I used to um, assist them in making the right decisions. And all, he said, all you had to do at that table, you just looked at that shelf. And he said, it was dead silence. He said, you, you put the fear into me. I was just hoping I was not acting out of line. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Now, why in the world would I have exposed my kids to something like that if I wasn't invested in their lives? Their misbehavior wouldn't affect me at all. Do what you want to do. I got other things on my mind. I don't need you to ruin my day by all. I'm just sit here and eat dessert. You know, I don't, I don't have to get, get up and use that spoon. And so, by the way, I shouldn't tell this, but I guess I will. Uh, uh, my, my wife used it also, but she used the wrong side of it. She had it turned the wrong way, you know what I mean? So the hollowed outside is what she would use on them. That doesn't hardly hurt. Also, you need wrist action with it. You have, to, you have to flick it like this. She didn't have any wrist action. So the boys, they told me now, they said, oh, yeah, when mom went for the spoon, we said, yeah, this is really good. And, and, and they said, and we made a lot of noise, and, and even we, we, we faked crying and everything like that to give her the idea that she was getting to it. But as soon as she said, when dad comes home, he's going to get the spoon, he said, then we knew we were in trouble because you had the wrist action, you know what I mean? But anyway, uh, so, but here's the point. God's commandments, his, his, his boundaries, his, his discipline, the kind that Solomon is speaking of here, his, his reproof, correction. Folks, don't you see? Those are signs of his fatherly love and concern. So Solomon is crying out to us, and he's saying, don't reject God's discipline. Don't loathe his reproof, because these are the very things that come from a loving and concerned father. Did you have a father like this? Good for you if you did, but if you didn't. And if you are a Christian, you do now. You have a father like this now. Just listen to the words of Solomon here in verses 11 and 12. You see, having accepted God's only begotten son, his name is Jesus, having accepted him as Savior, we have his father to be our father, and his father is the perfect father none of us have ever had. The Lord Jesus saved us from sin, but not just from sin. He saved us from poor parenting. He saved us from developmental negligence. He saved us from absentee dads. He saved us from all of those things. He is intent on being the dad most of us have never, have never had. And so it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be like sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Isn't that good? I'll take you up. I'll be a father to you. Now, I want to ask you this question. Uh, you, you don't have to answer this out loud. Just in your heart. Are you struggling to, uh, 
embrace the fatherly love of God. Um, is that just a tough one for you when you try it on for size? Is it, is it, is it not sticking? If that's the case, uh, let me suggest a possible reason why. It's probably due to pain in your life, uh, the kind of pain you may even be experiencing right now. Because in your mind, maybe not consciously, but deep down, you're essentially saying, the pain I am now experiencing in life seems to be inconsistent with the love of God. I mean, if God is a loving Heavenly Father, then I should not be experiencing what I am now experiencing. But I, I, would, like to, I would like to demonstrate to you that the pain and suffering you may be experiencing, even as we sit in each other's company tonight, that very thing may be, may be a sign and evidence of, a, of the love of, of Almighty God. Now, to prove this point, let me share with you something I discovered. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, and I invite you to turn there. We're going to depart from Proverbs just for a second, uh, for a few minutes. You can turn to Hebrews 12, or you can just listen as we talk. And as you Turn there if you're choosing to do that. Hebrews 12, let me just set it up. It's about Jewish people who found Jesus as their Messiah. Hebrews, so it's called Hebrews. They found Jesus as Messiah. They were indeed redeemed, but they all uh, also were immersed in terrible life circumstances. Lots of pain, loss, suffering, persecution, all the rest. And all of that pain was doing something with their thinking. It was squeezing out truth. Pain, emotional upheaval could do that. It could squeeze out truth. You can get to the point where you can't hear the voice of truth. It, it's hard for you to hear lady wisdom, as she is referred to here in Proverbs, because sometimes emotional travail um, um, extinguishes the voice of lady wisdom. And so, so their pain was, was, was putting the wrong thoughts in their minds. And they were tempted to think that God, in light of what they were going through, has really ceased to love them. They, in essence, were saying in their hearts, if not literally, they were saying, why, why is God punishing me? See, that's the association we make. It's part of human nature. When things are not going good for us, we assume it's because God does not like us. He's punishing us. We let him down. He's doing something to us. See, they were asking, why is he punishing me? What have I done to deserve this? And they probably were wondering if this is what I get for following Jesus. And why in the world should I follow Jesus? And so God responds through the person who wrote Hebrews, whoever that is. And this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. My son, tell me as I read this if this sounds vaguely familiar. My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Does that sound somewhat familiar? Folks, it ought to because that is a New Testament quotation of the Old Testament verses we've just read. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, quoted again by the writer of Hebrews. You and I are now somewhat familiar with it, but I guarantee you this. The original recipients, those Jews in Hebrews, were very familiar with this. They were taught these Proverbs from an early age. They knew about this. They heard about this. Mm. But they were forgetting about this. Why? It's because the pain in their lives had distracted them from the truth of it all. Pain distracted them 
from, a, uh, uh, from the persuasion that God still loved them. But folks, it could very well be that the pain and suffering they, we experience in life actually proves the love of God. How in the world could this kind of thing be evidence of God's love? Folks, are you willing to admit, based on your own life experience, that pain oftentimes uh, does more for you and me than prosperity? Are you willing to admit that? Uh, So my brother Greg is over there, and I should just tell you, you should never tell me anything, anybody, because when you do, uh, it becomes something I use as an illustration. So I was having this private, personal conversation with Greg, and now we're going public, Greg, baby. (sighs) Greg fell out of a tree a few months ago. He was on a ladder cutting down some limbs and uh, fell. Hurt himself very, very badly, his leg, knee, ankle. It's it's affected him. Uh, There are complications, and it's a long road to recovery, and he's wondering about what that road looks like and specifically ought to be and all the rest. And uh, I asked Greg, during this time, did you doubt the love of God? He, he looked at me like I thought he was going to punch me. Absolutely not. Why not, said I. <laughs> he said, uh, when I think about the pain Jesus experienced for me, What is this in comparison? And I said, well, now, Greg, can you see any way in which God is using this really bad, painful thing to bring about good things? He said, every day. What do you mean? I get to tell people my story. I get to tell them about the pain I'm experiencing and how it doesn't loom very large at all in comparison to the pain the Lord Jesus experienced for one such as me. And I asked Greg, do you you talk to God about this? He looked at me like I was from another planet. Of course I do. I talk to him about this all the time. So Greg would tell you what he's going through is not desirable. It would not have been his choice. It's a very painful time in his life, and and it may continue to be so, and therefore we must pray for Greg. But he would say, oh, no, this is not a sign of the absence of God's love. This is evidence of a loving God who's involved in my life and wants to mold me, shape me, and use this to produce things in my life that would otherwise may not be there. Greg, you're not alone. One before you, David, had similar experiences. You know what David said? Psalm 119, verse 67. You know what he said? He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then he said later on in Psalm 119 also, verse 71, you know what David said? He said, it's good for me that I was afflicted. Can you imagine saying something like this? It is good for me that I was afflicted. Why, David? That I might learn your statutes. So David, Greg, many others here are finding out, oh, no, these things are not a sign of the uh, distance of God. These things are a sign of the very closeness and love of God. And so, 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 so apparently the folks in the day of Proverbs needed to know this. And they still needed to know it in the book of Hebrews. And we still need to know it today. And that is that suffering is no indication that God has ceased to love us. No. In fact, it may be the very evidence thereof. 
So pain oftentimes does more for us than prosperity does. It empties us, doesn't it? It empties us to such an extent that we're ready to cling to God, to run to him. We're emptied of self-reliance, self-sufficiency, all this idea, you can be all you want to be. No, I can't. I can't overcome this mountain of pain. Believe in yourself. What do you mean? My heart is crushed. I can't believe in myself. My heart is crushed. No, no. Pain empties us of all those lies, and it makes us run to the Lord Jesus and say, Oh, God, I need thee every... Did we sing that tonight? I need thee every hour, or is it just in my mind? We sang something like that, didn't we? I, whether we did or not, it's a good song. I need thee every hour. Pain gives us an enhanced sense of dependence on all my, you know what else pain does? It obligates to consider our bad choices and the consequences thereof. Isn't that the activity of a loving God to let us experience the consequences of our bad choices? I think I told you this. My son, who's now a cop, my youngest son, he went into an aggressive and violent profession because I think I abused him with the spoon. <laughs> or maybe didn't use it enough. And when he was a little kid, he got allowance. He got two bucks. I think I shared this with you. He said, Dad, I want to spend my $2. I want to buy this toy. He saw it on TV. I said, Ben, uh, you know, that, that it's in real life, it's, that's not what it looks like. You know, they make it look like it does everything. It's not. It's not gonna, well, it's my money, says he. It wasn't his money. It came out of my wallet. But okay. I took him to, a, a, I took him to Kmart. Do we even have Kmart anymore? Okay, well, this was a while ago. Tim came. We go in, and there's the deal. It's a little package, and he wants to open it in the store. I said, no, no, Ben, you can't do it. We have to pay for it here. When we get in the car, we'll open it. We'll put it together. So we open it up. I put it together. He's in the back seat. That thing fell apart before we even cleared the parking lot. He starts crying. He was about uh, 16 at the time. No, that's not, that's not true. He was much younger. He starts uh, he starts crying, you know, and I start getting mad. I'm saying, what a ripoff, you know, these TV people. Look how they deceive little kids for crying out loud. That thing is not going to do what, they know it's not going to do what they make it look like on TV. You know, I'm going to gather up these pieces. I'm going into Kmart. I'm going to ask for the store manager. I will not only get the two bucks back, he will pay me for leaving the store. <laughs> and then suddenly hit me, and I thought, no way. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. If I really love him. I'm going to let him live with the consequences of his bad choices because he didn't listen to his father's counsel. He thought he knew better than his dad. And I have a ready opportunity to show him, no, you ought to heed the word of those who are older than you, older, older people than you have, who've lived life, who can give you wise counsel. You should not forsake the counsel of wise people. And so that's what I did. And and so can you, see, can you see the manifestation of a father's love, even though it allowed some pain, sense of loss in the life of a young kid, still the motive was, and this is how God, this is how God approaches us. This is what his discipline is all. And when we talk about the discipline of God, what are we talking about? It's all those things at God's disposal, which he makes use of to develop us. That's what the discipline of the Lord is. Everything, including pain and suffering. So, so, so when a heavenly father leads us through loss and grief and pain and all the rest, folks, he's not out to destroy us. He's out to develop us. That's, isn't that what a loving father does? These people needed to be reminded of this, both in Proverbs, both in Hebrews, and 
we do today, just as it says, for whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is there a difference between punishment and discipline? I think there is. Now, yeah, you may, you may differ. Let me, let me throw this out and see what, what you think about it. I do not think God punishes us if we're believers. I think he disciplines us. Why doesn't he punish us? Well, I don't think he punish, punishes his kids because those who are his kids are his kids by allowing their big brother Jesus to be punished for them. When the Lord Jesus said, it is finished, I mean, he took the rap for us. Therefore, we believers are not subject, in my opinion, to the punishment of God. We're privileged, on the other hand, to be recipients of the discipline of God. If you're God's child through your acceptance of God's only begotten son, Jesus, then you are under God's discipline. And this is a sign of his love. But you're not under God's wrath. That's a sign of his anger. But if you are not God's child, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, then you are under God's wrath. You are not under God's discipline. So I'm going to ask you a question. If punishment is God acting as judge and discipline is God acting as father, how would you prefer God to act towards you? It's a simple question. If punishment is God acting in his rightful position as holy judge, and if discipline is God acting as loving father, what would you prefer his posture to you be? Do you want to be confronted by God who judges you or by God who disciplines you so as to conform you to his image? Folks, the believers here in Hebrews are hurting, and in their pain they have forgotten that divine discipline is an evidence of divine love. If you're a Christian and are in pain, even tonight, I hope what we're talking about is in a small way a helpful reminder to you that your Father in heaven is not targeting you as his foe, not at all. He's focusing on you as his child whom he loves and will never leave nor forsake. Folks, life's hurts are no evidence that God has ceased to love us. Look further with me to Hebrews 12, verse 7. It says, it's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Folks, God's, evidence is, uh, God's discipline is evidence of the fact that you are his son and daughter and that he is your father. Do you know kids crave this kind of thing? It helps them to feel secure and loved. And uh, dogs do as well. And I'm sorry for bringing it so far down to earth by talking about dogs, but I'm a dog person. I have two dogs, and uh, I, I, uh, I pamper them, I spoil them, I, I do not discipline them. I, I just don't do it, but my wife does. So if they're home and my wife and I have gone away for like 10 minutes, they think it's like it's been an eternity. When we come in, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to get them. They will, they'll run right past me. And they will just jump, and every body part is shaking, you know. And, and, and they just, they're just absolutely focused. Um, they will go, they'll follow her, and they'll go right past me. Uh, she's the one who sets bounds, disciplines, trains them, 
lets them know when they're doing something wrong, consequences them. Even my dogs realize that's a real act of love. You are making me feel secure because we're just dogs. And we can't set limits and bounds for ourselves. We need someone bigger and better than us outside of us to do that. It makes us feel secure when you set limits on our behaviors, and especially our misbehaviors. And it makes us feel loved that you are taking the time out of your busy schedule to focus, to watch, to take a, uh, give, give attention to what we're doing and to set bounds on, on it. And so the next verse in Hebrews 12 says, but if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Isn't that interesting? Uh, years ago, I was stationed in, in England, and I worked in a military hospital. It was a mental health uh, unit of the hospital I worked in. And we would serve the British community from time to time when they had mental health issues. So we had a waiting room for the British folks to come to, to sit and wait to see one of, one of the counselors. And uh, so this couple came in, this British couple one day, and they had a young boy with them, I assume their son, and he was just causing all kinds of problems, disturbing other people in the waiting room and couldn't sit still and making a lot of noise, and the parents were doing nothing about it. Well, I pretty much lost it and went over to the kid, and I said, look here, look here, you little booger. You better sit still and be quiet right now. You understand me? You little booger. Well, then the secretary, she was a British lady, when I said, you little booger, she went, <gasps> like this. And I thought, oh, these prim and proper British people, come on. What's the big deal? And she said, Stuart, do you know what you just said? I said, well, what do you mean? What did I say? She showed me in a dictionary, British-style dictionary, different English than us. It's a word that has homosexual connotations. That's what it meant. So that was not a good deal. So, so here, and I was wrong to begin with. You know, we don't really have much right to discipline someone else's kid. Uh, uh, we have a right and responsibility to discipline our own. I probably crossed the line. And when we discipline our own, it indicates a connection that is otherwise not there. That's what this verse of Scripture is saying. If you are without discipline, you are illegitimate children and not Sons, And so this activity of God and changing us and growing us and developing us, even through hardship and pain and loss and grief and suffering, is proof that we are God's kids. And therefore, we must not despise God, though we hurt. And we must not resent him for allowing the hurt. Because of this reason, Hebrews 12, verse 11, all discipline for the moment, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In the short term, it hurts. In the long term, it yields fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, the kind of fruit that leads to a peaceful rest when you know I'm in sync with God. I'm in right order with God. God. And so the prosperity of God is a good thing. It, it, the prosperity that God may grant us from time to time is a blessing, but I'm beginning to believe that the adversity God may allow us to experience may be more of a blessing. So let me close with a 
Bible story that illustrates this point. Uh, you're familiar with it. It's recorded way back in Genesis chapter 32. It's about a fellow named Jacob. You know about him. He had an older brother named Esau. Oh, my goodness. He did Esau out of what was Esau's birthright. He deceived him. And then he takes off. Jacob, he takes off for years because he fears his brother's revenge. You know, he just stole something from his older brother. So he takes off. Years later, Jacob's coming home. But he finds out his brother Esau is coming out to meet him in the field. And there's like a whole bunch of guys with him. Well, what would go through your mind? You, you, you know, you're thinking it's over for me. He's got his, he's got his boys with him. And, you know, uh, I did him wrong. He's, he's going to get me. So Jacob, who was prone to rely on his own wit and wisdom, works out a multifaceted plan, part of which was to take all of his stuff, largely consisting of animals, and send them ahead of him in sequence. So, you know, you got some goats here, and then you got some lambs here, and you got some camels, thinking, you know, by the time Jacob brings up the rear and comes upon Esau, Esau's anger will be appeased because, you know, he's getting all these, all these gifts. That's what, that's what happens. So one night, everything Jacob had, family, friends, livestock, everything is on one side of the river, and he remains on the other side. He's totally alone. For the first time in his life, everything he leaned on has been stripped from him. He must have hated it. You and I hate it. We hate it when that which or uh, those who we have depended on suddenly are not there anymore. Anyway, that was the situation. And the text says Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Well, we can go into this some other time, but I think the man was the Lord Jesus himself. And you say, what in the world? That's Genesis. Well, that's it's a subject for another day. But I think it was the Lord Jesus himself wrestling with Jacob. And the battle goes on all night. And then we read, when he, touched, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, the socket of Jacob's thigh, which I'm told is one of the strongest parts of the human body, wherever the socket of your thigh is. Is it hip bone or something? I don't know what it is. It's supposed to be a strong part of the anatomy. And so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Folks, it just occurred to me, and maybe to you too, God loves us so much. He's willing to dislocate our plans, our bodies, even our very lives. Yeah, he's willing, because he loves us that much. He loves us so much that he's willing to use all things, including, we can call it this, the ministry of dislocation. I'm dislocated from my family, from my finances, from my job, from my spouse, from my kids, from my health. It's the ministry of dislocation. Why? How's this an act of God's love. Jacob, through all these years, relied on himself. But God loves us too much to let us get away with this imagined self-sufficiency. That's just a deception. We're not even such hot people, let alone good gods. Only the true God is the one who is good. And so God wants to move us from self-dependence to God-dependence. And he uses the ministry of dislocation to do so. And so he, what he did is he afflicted Jacob in an area of his strength. It reminds me of what Paul said way back in the New Testament. When I'm weak, then I am strong. So this is what happened. And, and, and the text uh, says here, Jacob says, I won't let you go. I will not let you go until, unless you bless me. So you know what's happening now? Jacob is no longer wrestling with God. You know what he's doing? 
He's clinging to God. And what got him to stop wrestling and to start clinging? The ministry of dislocation. And the text says, when the sun rose, Jacob crossed the river, and it says this, limping on his thigh. Jacob could no longer face life challenges, including Esau in his own strength. He went through the rest of his life with a limp, with a limp. He was made weak in an area of imagined strength. You say, how is that an act of the love of God? He would always, always remember, I'm not able, I'm not sufficient, I'm not strong, I don't have to pretend to be. Oh, God, be strong for me. I, I'm memorizing this verse today. I don't have it exactly right. I'm working on it. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. How do you get to the point where that can be uh, true of you? Where God is our strength, God is our defender, God is our security, God is our rock. Well, you have to be stripped of uh, alternative things that you have leaned on in me. And so he went limping, Jacob did through life. The ministry of dislocation was not an indication that God has withdrawn his love. It's a very indication that God intensely loves him. And so uh, Solomon cries out to us, don't reject, therefore, the discipline of the Lord. Don't loathe his reproof. No, no, no. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So I want to give you a chance to talk to God here. So could you close your eyes just for a second? Uh, I give you two options here. Um, so for some people, let me ask you this question. Do you have God as father or as judge? Is one or the other. So you just got to figure that out. Is God your father? Do you love him for that? Or is he your judge? Do you fear him for that? Got to figure that out. And which would you prefer him to be to you? Judge for your sin, guilty as charged. That would be the verdict. Or father. So what I'd like for you to do is maybe very honestly, just very privately, talk to God and say, Oh, God, I've not known you as father. I fear you as judge. But tonight, I want to accept your only begotten son because he's the mediator. He'll be the mediator between you and I. I will be judged for my sin unless I allow him to be judged for me. So I accept the Lord Jesus as my sin substitute and the bridge by which I can be connected to you. I would like his father, you, to be my father. That's what you want to talk to God about right now. And then the second group of people, um, are you a Christian? You already know God as father, but do you resent his discipline? Do you resent him for it? It's understandable if you do um, because of loss and hurt and grief. And I know some here are experiencing right now inexplicable grief. It's just hard to imagine. Loved ones have gone before their time. You remain, but others have passed. How do you explain that? You're a Christian. You know God as your father. But I just wonder if there's a hint of resentment, bitterness in your life. I wonder if you'd have conversation with God. Just confess that. 
just say, Heavenly Father, who else am I going to be honest with? You already know what I'm thinking. Let me just express it to you. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I don't get it. You say you love. I don't feel loved. And then maybe after confessing it, you'll say, this can't be true. I don't want to resent, loathe the things you do to develop me in light of eternity. Oh, God, you're using all things for the good. And then you want to say, oh, God, thank you for forgiving me. My attitudes haven't been right. I'm just like those Jewish believers in Hebrews. I've let my pain squeeze out the truth. The truth is you love me with an everlasting love. You'll never forsake me, forsake me whatsoever. You're not punishing me. Your only begotten son was punished enough for all of us. Oh, God, thank you for forgiving me. It's my pain. This is the voice of a hurt heart crying out to you. I know you know that. But what's really on my heart, oh, God, is thanksgiving. Thank you for not letting me go. Even when I'm at my worst, you're at my best. So that's the kind of praying you'll want to do. So can you take a few moments here? Group one, do you want Father? Do you want God as Father or Judge? Group two, do you have God as Father but resent the way He is behaving towards you? Have that conversation with Him and then I'll close. Father God, thank you for listening to us just as we are. Thank you for the permission to be honest and authentic. Thank you for your patience with us. You call us little children. That means we don't get it all. God, to be honest, we don't, we don't understand all that you're doing. Things don't make sense. We would do things differently. And yet, oh God, we have no right to question you. Father, you truly do know what's best. And having offered to us each your only begotten son, how will you not also with him freely give us all things? If you gave us the greatest, surely you'll give us the lesser. Thank you for using all at your disposal, all life circumstances, not to cause us to deteriorate, but to develop to be free of self-sufficiency and sin, and to be more like you. And, oh, God, we believe there'll be a day, one day, when we'll see you face to face and we'll say, ah, now I understand. Until then, through the eyes of faith, oh, God, I pray for some here tonight, by faith, that they would say, oh, God in heaven, creator God, almighty one who could snuff me out in a second, oh, God, I believe you have sufficiently judged your only begotten son for my sin. I accept that fact, and now I want you to be the loving, caring father to me I never had. And then for the others, oh God, I pray not one person leave here with resentment or bitterness or contempt, only with gratitude for your investment and interest in our lives, that you would use all things to develop us so as to make us more like you, to prune us, so, so that we would bear more fruit. No, oh God, the mere fact that we can talk to you this way is evidence of the fact 
that you are a loving Heavenly Father. And we're very, very grateful to you, Lord Jesus, for bridging the gap, bringing us home, taking us by the hand and joining our hands with the hands of your Father, who is now our Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done as mediator between us and Almighty God. And, oh God, you don't need our permission to do what you please. Having bought us with a price, we're owned by you, and you could shape us up and expose us to whatever you want. It isn't that. It's a little more like a vote of confidence. Oh, God, have your way. We trust you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.